and welcome back to another episode of the Can't Real Podcast. It's your girl Rachel back with another episode. So, to recap, last week we did the Tower of Babel, which was Genesis chapter 11. And ultimately, go back and listen to the story, or go back and listen to the episode. Go back and read chapter 11 for yourself. Um, and do a little research, you know, if you're so inclined. But ultimately, we, we found that the Tower of Babel is a... Um, it's a story of God, man's disobedience to God and man's opposition to the will and word of God, which was, you know, to go out and populate the earth. And instead, they decided to stay together, congregate, tried to build a, a structure um, that was historically a structure that was known for pagan worship to pagan gods. And they were trying to build a structure to prove themselves in a, a, an ungodly, unbridled ambition. So... Yeah, today is a little different. Today's episode really nicely juxtaposes, if you will, um, the story of the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel is when man disobeys God. This is going to be the call of Abram before his name is changed to Abraham. So this is this is pre-Abraham. This is Abraham before he became Abraham. Um, we're just going to talk briefly about his, his lineage. And then we're going to talk about the call of Abraham, which is chapter 12. So before we get started fully, I'm going to say a quick prayer and then we're going to jump right in. So to Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray, Lord, that it will be beneficial to all those who hear and that it will reach every single person that it was meant to reach. I pray that uh, you will be glorified through this. I pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to read Genesis, the, the back end of Genesis chapter 11, because remember in last episode, we didn't actually finish chapter 11. We just stopped at the, t- the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, so we're going to, there's, there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's, there's a, the, the account of Shem's family all the way down to Abraham or Abram. But we're going to skip all that part and just talk about the parts that have to do with Abram. But like I said, if you remember from last week's episode and the week before that with the flood, we know that Shem was one of the three sons of Noah who survived on the ark. And Shem was one of the sons that uh, Noah blessed, whereas Ham was, one of, was the son that Noah cursed. Shem was one of the sons that Noah blessed. So... It is from this blessed line that we have Abram. So, um, this is, so we have we have Shem all the way down to Terah, which is Terah is Abram's father. So it says Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. the The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name, name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was childless because she had not been able to conceive. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived uh, 205 years and he died in Haran. So just briefly, um, to clarify, just so back in that day, people did marry their siblings or half siblings more than anything. Um, and so Sarai was Abram's half sister. That's going to kind of factor in to the second half of chapter 12. So she was, Sarai was Abram's half sister on his dad's side. So Tara's daughter, um, but not, he was, they weren't full siblings and um, we see relationships like this often throughout the Old Testament, but we know that 
later on in the chat in Leviticus, when God gives the Mosaic law, he uh, prohibits incestuous relationships like this. Um, but we do know that it was God's plan um, for the human race to come from one couple, Adam and Eve. And from Adam and Eve, we have Noah and his wife. And from them, you know, so there was a certain level of trying to keep it in a family that was necessary. But as you, as the scriptures, as the years go on and we get closer and closer to present day, we see how that was less and less acceptable because that's, you know, at some point God's like, don't even, don't, don't, don't do nothing with your siblings, but you have siblings, like just no. So yeah, we see later on in Leviticus where God calls that, that incestuous, he forbids it from happening. But for right now, it was necessary to God's ultimate plan. Now it's one of those things that, you know, it is kind of weird. It's one of those weird things about the Bible that just makes it kind of interesting. You're like, really the Old Testament is like Maury, it's like, um, it's like Jerry Springer, you know what I'm saying? It's like a reality show. It's crazy, but it's interesting to say the least. And a lot of stuff that happened in the Old Testament, like I said, is stuff that we don't do today. And it's stuff that God would later condone. No, 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 not condone, condemn, excuse me. It's stuff that God would later condemn, practices he would later condemn. So just briefly, for the purpose of this chapter, I wanted to let you guys know, to remind you guys that Sarah was Abram's half-sister and his wife. So yeah, so now we're going to pick up with chapter 12. We're going to read the first half of chapter 12 and then the second half of chapter 12. So the call of Abram, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, and as the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time... The Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Remember God's promise, the promise of, you know, what we see in, in uh, what we'll see, well, what you'll see when you read the Old Testament for yourself if you haven't already. In Exodus, the promise is the, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. He says, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai in the, on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called, the called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So just to go back to verse 1, when it says, talking about the Lord command, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, and I will to the land I will show you. That's a lot right there. You know, that's a lot you could flush out. That's a whole sermon in the first half, in the first couple verses of chapter 12. But I wanted to kind of read what my Bible's commentary had said about these particular verses. So it says, Abram's story, like Noah's, remember Noah was called by God, uh, began with a command and a promise from Yahweh, the covenant God. God, God, 
you know, God is a God of keeping promises. It says the command is to separate himself from his countrymen, undoubtedly idolaters, which we know they were idolaters. Um, a lot of people in this land were idolaters. It says they prom the promise included seven clauses. The first was, I will make you into a great nation, implying that God was going to give Abram and his descendants territory. The next was, I will bless you. And then he says, I will make your name great. And this is a nice little juxtaposition to the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. It says the promise to make Abram's name great is a deliberate contrast to the efforts of the tower builders in 11, uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, and so on. It says this language is used, uh, is used of royalty elsewhere in the Old Testament. The next is you will be a blessing. So God's going to bless Abram and then Abram will be a blessing to other people. It says this imperative is related to the first imperative to go from and is central and pivotal to the promise. Abram's separation will result in his bringing blessings to others. So that remember that the fact that Abram separated from the, the his countrymen from idolaters and became a consecrated lineage to God leads to the nation of Israel um which we know it is through the through the Israelites that we have Jesus. Salvation came through this line that God is consecrating for himself. Um and it's like I said it says that the Abram's separation will result in his bringing blessing to others. We're blessed as Christians in the 21st century in America and all over the world, wherever you're listening to this, we're blessed as 21st century Christians because of Abram's separation back in whenever this is written BC, whenever this took place BC. It says the next three clauses deal with those who will be blessed. He says, I will bless those who bless you. So we see how there's this, I think I did an episode on this, if I remember. I think I, I think I did an episode on this. I think it's called Blessed to Be a Blessing or something like that. So definitely go back. I think it was an old episode. I'd have to, I think, I think I did do an episode on this called like Blessed to Be a Blessing. I'm not going to look it up, but I think I did. Um, but just talking about how we're blessed to bless other people. So it says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. That's a whole nother conversation that, you know, we don't necessarily have time to get into, but you can just kind of think about that in correlation with um, how the Israelites were treated in Egypt, treated as slaves. Um, and when Pharaoh, you know, essentially cursed the children of Israel to slavery in Egypt, he and his people, the Egyptians, were then cursed. So there's just all kinds of stuff where, you know, God said, I will curse those who curse you. That's, that's, that's on, God said, that's on me. You know what I'm saying? And then the last one says, and all people, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. It says this last clause of the promise emphasizes Abram's role in the fulfillment of the divine plan for all humanity, which is what I said just briefly ago, talking about salvation and how Jesus Christ came through the line of Abraham. Um, and it's through this, the promise that we, that we're reading about the call to Abram that we're reading about right now is what will, um, it is the, the precursor to Jesus, like, like it says, this is the promise that emphasizes Abram's role in the fulfillment of the divine plan for all humanity. So ain't God good. You know what I'm saying? The, the, it's just, I just love how the old, the old Testament so clearly points to Jesus. You know, once you understand Jesus 
and you well there's no really full true understanding of Jesus. once you have a once you get the revelation of you're starting to see who god is who jesus is and how jesus appears in the old testament you'll start to see him more and it's quite fascinating quite fascinating so now we're going to pick up with abram in egypt and then we're going to read this and then we'll be done so it says starting in verse 10 it says, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman, woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. It says, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my, why did you say she is my sister so that I would take her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent them, sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So this is interesting. This is the, this is when we see, so after we see, um, God calls Abram and he says all these things. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You know, I'm going to give you territory. And then up some time passed. And then we see um, something I forgot to mention in the first the first half. Is we see in verses um, 7 and 8 how Abram built altars to the Lord. And he called out to the Lord. And the Lord's, you know, the Lord, like he was remembering the Lord's presence and how that's important in building altars, remembering the moments and the spaces when God spoke to you, when God blessed you, when God answered a prayer, when you felt God's presence, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes his presence is, is, is more than sufficient. You know what I'm saying? Some, or not sometimes, all the time, his presence is more than sufficient. There have been times when I just felt, I didn't, even though I didn't quote, get my answer to my prayer, I just felt God's presence heavy over my life and it just washed, it just, peace just washed over me. There was a, there was a certain level of, um, repentance, but like sorrowful repentance, like, man, I'm just so not even worthy to be, to feel this peace that washes over me. But the presence of God just leads to this peace, leads to this, this, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe, but the fact that Abram built altars in these moments, in these different lands, physically built altars to the Lord, showing his um, commitment to worship God. So just bringing just bringing that up. He built altars. Um, even before, this is before the Mosaic Law. Obviously, Moses is five, six, seven hundred years away. He's already, oh, yeah, seven hundred years away. He, eight, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how long, but. He's a long ways away, almost a millennia away. And Moses, or not Moses, Abram is building altars unto the Lord, um, sacrificing, or not necessarily, he doesn't say that he sacrificed on these altars, but he did build altars in memory and in honor of God's presence in that moment, of God's 
uh, promise to him at those times in those certain areas so that when he were if he were to travel back through Bethel back through uh, you know yeah back through Bethel he'll remember he'll see the altar remember the promise God made him remember his whole mindset during that time but that's important for us too um, I think a modern day less physical version of that is maybe when we journal you know what I'm saying when we journal when you journal and you or you write your prayers down you just talk about how God you know just you just you write down your experiences with God's presence it just allows you to go back and when you go back and read through your journal you go back and you know see where you were what your mind you remember what your mindset was and you're able to see how God took you from there from where you were to where you are now so sorry I kind of started rambling but back to Abram in Egypt so the first thing we're going to point out is in verse 11 and remember, I'm going to read it again. It says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are and what the Egyptian and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. So say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and they'll spare my life. So basically what happened was Abram told a little lie. He fibbed. He lied. Abram. Yes. He told a half truth and a half truth is a whole lie. So he said, he told everybody, oh, this is just my sister. And for them to hear that Sarai was just his sister, that means that she was free to marry anybody. And Pharaoh, who at the time had many women, especially all, you know, he had all the, the beautiful young women and, and Sarah wasn't even young, but he had all the beautiful women that he wanted. He saw how beautiful Sarai was and he was like, oh, I want her too. So she got taken into his palace. That means she got taken into... I mean, essentially like his harem, which is just where the, all the women who are belong to Pharaoh in the, inst in the instance of they're either his wives or his concubines, um, all the women who belong to Pharaoh were. So we don't necessarily know if, I don't know if, we don't know from this if Pharaoh like had sex with Sarai. We don't know. But the fact that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai, lets us, lets me know, it makes me think that he did not, but that he was thinking about it and that he got too close. Because as we'll see later on, the promised child, Isaac, is supposed to come through Sarah. And we read at the beginning, Sarah couldn't conceive children. So... But that doesn't mean that she could just sleep with anybody. You know what I'm saying? So what if Pharaoh had slept with her and she got pregnant? Obviously, God's ultimate plan would not have been foiled. But what if, you know, Pharaoh was like, God was like, no, I don't want nobody sleeping with this woman but her husband, Abram, whom I've already called and destined to father this child, Isaac. So I just thought it was interesting, you know, that she was taken into his palace. And the fact that Abram was basically given like a bride price for her. You know, you see like a dowry. Essentially, with Pharaoh gave him sheep and cattle, donkeys and servants and camels. That was like the bride price. So he gave him not physical money, but wealth uh, to pay for Sarah. So it's just like, it, and the fact that Abram like accepted it. I don't know. That kind of, that, that's the story always kind of bothered me and how Abram like handled his wife, how he dealt with her, how he chose, um, he was like, well... And, and to a degree, he, by saying he was his sister, she was his sister, she, he mostly protected himself. 
But he sort of protected her, but not really, because either way, if Pharaoh wanted her, he would have got her either killing Abram or just buying her from Abram as a sister. I don't know. But it was the fact that Abram lied. And that's a common thread that you'll hear a lot of preachers talk about when it comes when we get down to Jacob, which we'll read later on in chapter in Genesis. Jacob's name means like trickster, deceiver, and how he lied and how it he lied, but so did Isaac. Isaac, as we'll read, pulled the same situation with Rebecca. And and then the same so he's like, You're a liar, your father was a liar, your grandfather was a liar. So there's just that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But the points, there's there's some points that I still want to flush out in these ten verses. So moving on from how Abram told Sarah to lie and how he deceived Pharaoh um, and how we see that Pharaoh paid for Sarah with wealth and animals and servants and everything at the end of it all and how God protected Sarah and and Abram essentially how he protected Sarah from um, I mean being contaminated if you will by Pharaoh by the Lord inflicting serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household to be like, nah, what you doing is wrong. You need to stop. So we basically put a stop to that to save Sarah. God saved Sarah. And to end it all with verse 20, it says, Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. And this will lead us to the last verse and to the end. So despite Abram's deception, despite his sin, in this moment, Abram still left Egypt with more than what he came into Egypt with. And that's something a while ago, um, I feel like, actually it's like the, around this time, around this time last year, I think, maybe it was sometime last year, or maybe, yeah, sometime last year, um, I remember just reading this and really feeling like God was telling me that despite what circumstances I'm going to enter into, rather they be... Um, whether they be situations that I led myself into due to my own sin or situations that God brought me into, he was, regardless of what happened, I was going to come out of those situations, not just okay, but better than how I entered. I was going to leave with more than what I entered. And so I love this ver this chapter and this verse for, love this chapter for this verse specifically, how despite everything that he did, despite the fact that he deceived Pharaoh, Pharaoh still let him keep all the things that he gave him. All the animals and, and the servants. He, Pharaoh still let him keep that. And he left with his wife and everything that he had accumulated in Egypt. So just remember that. How despite a, despite all the crazy stuff that may be happening. And despite how, you know, we trying to be in God's will also are slaves. Some, well, not we're no longer slaves or sinful nature. But sometimes we adopt a slave mentality to our sinful nature and we, we we follow our desires as opposed to what God's will will is for our life and we go down certain paths that are not fruitful are not beneficial and that are going to that, that could potentially lead us away remember that if you um when when you decide to truly like allow God to to lead your life and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you even if you make a misstep, even if you sin, even if you did, you know, even if something happens, that's your fault. God is so faithful that he, you will still leave that season, still leave that situation better than how you entered it. And so I want to leave you all with one last verse 
And it is a New Testament verse, a verse we all know very, very well. It is Romans 8.28. And it says, and I'll read 8.28 and 20. No, I'm going to just read 8.28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want to read the commentary and then we're going to close. It says, God works for good in all things. This verse does not affirm that all things are good or that all things work together for good for all people. Rather, the great promise is that God will overrule and work even through the tragedies caused by sin's presence in the world to accomplish his purposes in the lives of those who love him and who have responded to his call. So that is what we see in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram. This, this last part, it says those who have responded to, who love him and have responded to his call. If we go back, we see how it was very clear that Abram loved God and responded to his call. When, a when God told Abram to leave this land of his countrymen and his father, he got up and left. He built altars. And so we see this promise, this New Testament covenant in the Old Testament, because that's just who God is. That's just his nature. He's a loving, caring, merciful God. That he will, he will really work all things together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Not everybody. Those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Who respond to the call that he's placed on their life. So yeah. That is all I have. And we're going to pray and then we'll be done. So to Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your, div your divine hand over our lives, God. Thank you, Lord, for how you work all things together for our for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose for them. Lord, we love you and we desire to be to walk in accordance with the will for your the will that you have placed over our lives, Lord God. We desire we and because of these things, God, we believe that this verse is speaking to us that you're going to work all things together for the for our good. And so I praise you, God, and I, I I pray that this will be glorifying unto your name. I pray all these things in your son Jesus name. Amen. All right. And yeah, until next time. Bye.